Thank you, Kayla, for sharing your voice with us tonight. It's, it's real pretty and a great segue into where we're going tonight. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, please turn them open with me to Romans chapter 3 tonight. Romans chapter 3. I don't know about you guys, but I kind of look at our Sunday night group as uh, uh, more of the tight-knit part of our church family. Would you all agree with that? Yes? No? Okay, this is interactive. Okay. Yes. Yes, so, um, so good, because I wanted to have a little fun just to kind of kick this thing off tonight, and I don't typically do this, but it's our Sunday night group, our family here, so we can do this. Uh, this is going to be just like an easy, interactive kids that both adults and children can play a role in. Uh, you can just shout out your answer in this. Uh, in, in just a second on the screen, you're going to see just a picture of some food, and I just simply need you, need you to tell me what that food is, okay? So go ahead, Scott, and throw that up there. Tell us about it. Hamburger, steak, chicken. What else? Lemon. <laughs> I'm sorry, what's that? Yak, says the man from Peru. <laughs> Brian, could, Brian could get close to this if he thought about it long enough. Here, we're, I'm going to go ahead and show you the answer to this. Go ahead and get the next one right there. Here you go. It, it, is, it is from the cow, but, but it's the thing hanging out the cow's mouth. That was a little cow tongue for you. I've actually eaten cow stomach and cow heart before, and, and, uh, but I've yet to taste the taster, if you know what I mean. It's, it's uh, an interesting thing, but everybody who actually got gobbled up faster than the other two, and so I'm assuming it was pretty good, um, but had those while we were in Peru. Um, now, with that said, things aren't always what they appear. To be right, I mean, you you look at that one plate and it looks good, and actually, to many people, it is good, but you don't necessarily look at the cow tongue and think, Wow, I want to eat that thing, right? So, sometimes things just aren't what they appear. But the point of our fun little quiz tonight is this the perspective in which the cow tongue was presented made all the difference. I mean, if we're going to present it like hanging out of his mouth, that's one way, but if we present it on the plate, all cooked up, more like a juicy steak it comes across a little bit differently. Now, you've got to hang on to this, what I'm saying here, because it's sort of like the gospel, okay? I want you to see this. Same way with the gospel, no jokes or anything like that. I want to start our time here. Oh, just a second on that. I want to start off our time here on um, an illustration that Ray Comfort presented in his book, Hell's Best Kept Secret, about a man flying on a plane. This is just a hypothetical story, but he says this. A man is seated in a plane. A flight attendant gives him a parachute and instructs him to put it on because it will improve his flight. Not understanding how a parachute could possibly improve his flight, the passenger is a little skeptical. Finally, he decides to see if the claim is true. After strapping on the parachute, he notices its burdensome weight and he has difficulty sitting upright. Consoling himself with the promise of a better flight, our passenger decides to give it a little time. Because he's the only one wearing a parachute, some of the other passengers begin smirking at him, which only adds to his humiliation. Unable to stand it any longer, our friend slumps in his seat, unstraps the parachute, and throws it to the ground. Disillusionment and bitterness fill his heart because, as far as he is concerned, he, was, he has been told a lie. Okay, now let's go from that and tell that story all over again, but from a new perspective, okay? A flight attendant gave a man a parachute. Listen to her instructions. 
She tells him to put it on because at any moment, moment he will be jumping out of the plane at 25,000 feet. This passenger gratefully straps the parachute on. He doesn't notice its weight upon his shoulders or that he can't sit upright. His mind is consumed with the thought of what would happen to him if he jumped without it. When other passengers laugh at him, he thinks, you won't be laughing when you are falling to the ground. Okay? So let's analyze both men's motives and actions. The first man, he took the parachute with the understanding that that parachute would improve his flight. What he ended up with is humiliation by others. It really didn't improve his flight experience at all. And he felt lied to and angry by the flight attendant. The second man, he took the parachute because he wanted to escape the danger of the upcoming jump. He knew what would happen to him without it, and the mockery didn't even faze him because he knew he would escape death. He was thankful also for the flight attendant who helped him. Now, the perspective in the stories make all the difference here for us, okay? If we tell others, put the Lord Jesus Christ on, like a parachute, and give, he will give your life purpose, joy, peace, and fulfillment. In other words, that Jesus is going to improve your flight. What do you get? You get temptation, you get trial, you get persecution. Sometimes you get mocked for putting on Jesus. And many, because of disillusionment and anger, then throw off Jesus. They put him away because they felt lied to. They didn't get what they thought they were getting. But if they put on the Lord Jesus Christ like a parachute for the right reasons, the biblical reasons, namely to escape the wrath to come, then temptation, tribulation, and persecution will not turn them back. See, the gospel is more, much more than a band-aid to strap on life's big boo-boos, right? If the lost are thinking that, or if they're thinking that hell is nothing more than a big after-party, then they have the wrong perspective. So, the question tonight is, how good is the good news? How good is it really? Um, what is the biblical perspective here? Is the gospel, and you can answer this, is the good news simply that your sins can be forgiven if you repent and put your faith in Jesus? Yes or no? Don't be afraid, I promise you. No tricks here. Is that the gospel? Yes, it is the gospel. All right, everybody's comfortable now, okay? That is the gospel, but is there more good to the good news? Absolutely, absolutely. That's what I want you to see tonight. Let's look together here at Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. 10 through 18. Just hear this, and I want to emphasize certain words as we go through it. Paul says this, as all the world is being indicted. Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one there is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, in the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Ouch. All right, so for those of us who tend to look at human beings as basically good unless they've done something dreadfully wrong, have in their situation where they're seeing people not as God sees them, 
We don't understand our situation quite like God does if we look at humanity that way. One of the things that makes the good news so great is the contrast it has with the really bad news of the gospel, right? The right perspective makes a huge difference here. So just take a moment here. I want to get us get blistered by the word of God one more time so that we're ready for the good stuff. Romans 8, 7 on the screen here. The mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Colossians 1.21 You were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. And so we are getting painted this picture by the Apostle Paul, who is speaking by the Holy Spirit, that we are, we are separated, we are alienated, we are hostile, enemy, combatants to God. That's how he looks at us. He doesn't look at us as generally good people, okay? And so now I want us to get the twist on this perspective. And this is where the good news gets so great when we understand how bad things are. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. Turn there with me now. Ephesians chapter 2. And what we're going to do here is we're going to walk through this passage, and I'm just going to be making some comments through the passage as we read along. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Okay, Paul says this, catch those first three words, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Now look at me here, what Paul is saying is that you and I, along with the rest of the world, at least apart from Jesus, before we knew him, were all together on the same collision course with the wrath of God, guys, and we need God to rescue us from it. Now, every single person on this planet, all seven plus billion of them, plus the countless men and women from every century past, will stand before Christ on Judgment Day. Now, whether we choose to think of this or not, the reality is, is every single person is headed toward a day of judgment. And you and I will stand before our judge and our creator all alone. When we stand there, we will not be standing by mama or daddy. We will not be standing by our saved grandmother or grandfather. We won't have our pastor or our youth pastor to hold our hands. We will all stand individually before the judgment seat of Christ. Every sin of breaking God's law will be accounted for here. And countless multitudes, church, are burning under the wrathful hand of God in hell because they were not prepared to stand before King Jesus. I believe, though, for the majority of us here tonight that we can come into this night praising God for those first three words in verse 1. And you were. And you were. That's our old story. This is telling our old story. But for the rest of us here who would not know Christ or not sure if we do or not, let the reality of what we're speaking about tonight lead you to a moment of settling these issues with God tonight. Now, Paul goes on to say then, we walked according to the course of the world, and he also says, according to the prince of the power of the air. We're talking about Satan, who was our master, who we were held captive, according to Second Timothy chapter 2, held captive by his will, to do his will. He's on the same collision course with the mighty wrath of God. And then he goes on to say, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And you were the son of disobedience. Notice God does not, like we sometimes do, hold back for fear of offending us or hurting our feelings because he loves us enough to tell us the truth about ourselves. And that's what he wants from you and I. 
He doesn't hedge here. This is how God has seen us in rebellion to Himself. Verse 3, Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And this is where it gets real good, because this is where I look at, when I see Ephesians chapter 2, and I get to the end of verse 3, it's like I'm looking to the east, and I'm watching the sun rise. Because when you get to Ephesians chapter 2 here, and verse 4, those first two words are this great gospel conjunction. These two words that are the hero, the rescuer, invading, coming in at the nick of time, rescuing his people, but God. He says, but God. This is where the sun rises. This is the hero's sudden rescue. Now, everybody who sits in here tonight are here. If you are a believer in Jesus, you've repented of your sins and put your faith in him because somebody was a conduit of God's grace in your life where God would, through them, via them, rescue you. Now, he goes on. But God, being rich in mercy, he's saying mercy, God showed you mercy, meaning you did not get what you deserved. What you got was the calm without the storm. I thought about this, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's as if God saves us from himself for himself. Because we are on a collision course with the coming wrath of God, and God comes in as the rescuer to rescue us from his coming wrath. Why does he do it? Paul goes on, and he says why. Because of his great love, which he loved us. And then he puts it in perspective, like Romans 5.8 does, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He says it in another way here. Because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, and not only did he love us when we were dead, but then he made us alive together with Christ. You know what that means? He goes on to say. He tags it right here. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. James talked about this this morning. In his mercy, you didn't get what you deserve, but by his grace you got what you, di- you, you, got what you didn't deserve. Let me say that again. With God's mercy, he withheld from you what you truly deserve, but in his grace, he gave you what you never deserved. And then he goes on to say, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. John MacArthur here says, the good news is that the believer is not only dead to sin and alive to righteousness through Christ's resurrection, but the believer also enjoys his Lord's exaltation and shares in Jesus' unsurpassed glory. And that's where it goes on here in verse 7, where he says this, so that in the ages to come, he, God, might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us who are in Christ Jesus. So in the ages to come, for all eternity, God has gathered his people for a great show, a great display of his glory. And just when you think there couldn't be more, there is more. And he continues to give you more of himself. And he is going to show you what it means about him rescuing us from our sin. And all of heaven are going to glorify him forever and ever for this. And then, if we, it's like as if we didn't get it the first time. Paul is teaching us through repetition here. Like we have to teach our children many times. We teach by saying it over and over and over again. Well, Paul just took a few verses and then wants to remind us again, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And so it's, it's the picture when we think of the psalmist, who is man that you are even mindful of him, God. We are but decorated dust, but yet you would reach out to us and then make us trophies of your grace. For it is by grace you have been saved, but it's not from yourselves. It has nothing to do with you. It's about the giver. See, see, the giver gets the glory, not the recipient. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So now I want to wrap up this time, uh, kind, of, kind of bringing it down really quick here. Let me finish my time with uh, pointing out these layers upon layers of grace. As we talk about how good is the good news, we talked about the picture is the good news being justified? Absolutely. Is the good news being forgiven? Absolutely. Is the good news being rescued from the coming wrath of God? Absolutely. But there is so much more. And what I wanted to do, I made a, a number of slides here with scriptural references to them that I'm going to zoom through, but I wanted them on the screen so you could see them as I, as I read them out loud. And I want to get you, give you just a great collection of what comes with the good news of the gospel, what you have received here. All right? So let's marvel together at the many wonders of our salvation tonight. So, Scott, you just try to keep up with me here. We were once far off but made near to God by the blood of Christ, Ephesians 2.13. We were made representing ambassadors of Christ in this world. We were accepted by God, Ephesians 1.6. We have access to God, Romans 5.2. We've been redeemed by God. Our condemnation has been removed. We're free, Galatians 5.1. We've been rescued from the domain of darkness and, and transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. We've become part of the bride of Christ, church. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. We'll be glorified together with Christ. We're born again, John 3, 7. We've received a new nature. It's called regeneration. We've been adopted as sons and daughters of God, Romans 8. We're made righteous. We're made acceptable. We're perfected forever. We're justified, which means to be declared guiltless and made righteous, all in that one word. We are forgiven, Colossians 1, 14. We've received a heavenly Father, we have an inheritance in heaven. We are made saints. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are sealed for salvation by the Spirit. We are given spiritual gifts. We are made complete in Christ. We are given eternal life. It means we are saved. That's all that's in our salvation. We talk about being saved. It's so much more than saying, do you want to be forgiven? There's so much more to it. So much more to it. I want to conclude by reading a passage to you. Romans chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. You can turn there with me. Uh, what I want to do is I'm just going to read it, and then I want to say a few things about it, and then I want to transition. All right, Romans 5, 9 through 11. Let me read this. And Paul says, Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Now let me just say a few things that you can see in that passage there, okay? Right there at the very beginning, he says, much more than. So whatever he has been saying prior to that, now he's saying, okay, more than that. I want to make some big points here. Having now been justified, having now been declared guiltless and made righteous in Christ by his blood, we shall be saved from what? the wrath of God through him. All right? So now he's talking about the justification. There's the gospel, simple salvation through Jesus, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. What we're seeing that's going on here. Verse 10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God 
through the death of his son, much more. Now think about this. What you're hearing here, I think I might have heard Buddy say this one, so I just want to give credit to where credit's due. But, but it reminds me of a great, great infomercial moment. But this is a good one, not the ones that you see on TV. He starts verse 9 saying, much more then. And then he gets here and he says, but much more. Meaning, okay, we just talked about you've been justified. You've been declared guiltless and made righteous. You were once an enemy and now you've been reconciled. But it's much more, Paul says. Much more. It gets better. He goes on to say, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And then he says, and not only this. It reminds me of, of all those infomercials when they say, um, okay, today we're going to offer you this knife cutting set for $20. Okay, much more, much more. There's that part. And then he goes on and he says, but much more, much more. That means, but if you buy today, you get a second set for free. Okay, and then he goes on and then in verse 11 he says, and not only this, meaning now you get the, the extra cutting board if you call in the next five minutes, right? There's more. But we also exult. Greek meaning to, to glory in a thing or elsewhere in the New Testament to take pride in or boast in. We exult, we boast in, we take pride in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. The hostile enemy combatants of God now made friends with God because of God. You see, there's the gospel. And I want to I let a video for you be the exclamation on the end of this sermon. It's by Eric Ludy. It's called The Gospel. And just enjoy that. to introduce you to the gospel right now. You are a rebel. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, I'll tell you straight up. You are a rebel against the living God. This is your natural disposition. Why? Because you were born in sin. We are in a prison cell. And it takes the awakening and the grace of God, you call it the provenient grace of God, to awaken us to the fact that we are lost and we can't get out. We're headed towards destruction fast. The enemy, because of our rebellion against God, has legal rights to harm and harass our life. There you are behind the prison cell. Help! I need out! You can't get out. Those prison bars are stronger than any adamant. There is no way you can cut them because they're stronger than diamond. It is impenetrable. You cannot escape. You're doomed because when the enemy comes in in the very end and he's going to finish you off because he has legal right to do it and he's going to relish every minute of it. In strolls your intercessor, your mighty man. And he stands between you and that accuser and he takes the hit that was rightfully yours. He takes the blow that was intended for you. That is an extraordinary reality that he was turned to a pulp and he actually died. God died for you. Over your prison cell, it is always said condemned, separated eternally from God, guilty. And then suddenly it switches. When you realize what Jesus Christ has done, it says justified. It says forgiven, 
redeemed. Here's the problem. Most of us have stopped with the good news right there. The blood of Jesus Christ has been shed and he was killed. And I want you to know that is unbelievable news. But we are still in a prison cell. And so we're praising God from within a prison cell going, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for changing the sign on the outside of the prison. And God's word says, could you check the door to the prison cell? Because my blood was shed for more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness was the avenue through which he could make the escape for us. He isn't just interested in dealing with the consequences or the penalty of sin. He's also dealt with the problem of sin. Test the door. It's unlocked. The door to the prison cell is unlocked. Walk out. Smell the open air of freedom and liberty in the life of Jesus Christ. When you get outside the prison cell, there's like this chariot that's waiting. Emissaries from the king, and they say, the king beckons you into his presence. And how bizarre this is when you realize that you were a rebel, that you were undeserving completely. The living God has literally given up his life for you, and now he has set you free, and now the very king is beckoning you into his presence. It's like, are you sure you have the right guy here? I'm a rebel. I, I stood against my God. I spat in his face. How, how could he want me? The king beckons you. You get in the chariot. And as you're pulling into the kingdom, you're looking for where they might drop you off. You're looking for that poor district. You're saying, where, where are you taking me? Well, into the very near presence of the king. He wants you to live right where he lives. Not just the penalty, not just the problem, but an invitation into his very near presence. But as you're coming in, the emissaries say, he wants to adopt you child. Me? Child? We are brought in and invited near to share his heart. You come into his presence totally broken before the reality of what he has done for you. I don't deserve this. Why have you done this for me? I love you. I have a commission for you. For me? You want to have me work for you? I want you to work for me. I want you to represent me. Absolutely. Anything I can do for you, just tell me. I need you to go back to that prison cell that I took you out of. Because there's a whole bunch more that need to know about me and my love and my truth. Will you go for me? In a heartbeat, I would, I would gladly serve you. Any way you want, any way you ask. I need to forewarn you. I'm going to send you out. And you'll be as a sheep among wolves. They'll kill you. They'll destroy you. They'll hate you. They'll persecute you. They will do whatever they can to harm you. I'm in. I'll do it, God. I don't care. You shed your blood for me. I would gladly shed my blood for you. Take my body. Take my blood. Spend it any way you want. I belong to you in, in covenant. Take me, Lord Jesus. Send me. The commission, not just the penalty, not just the problem, not just the invitation to his very near presence, not just the adoption as a son and a daughter of the King of Kings, but we are commissioned to represent him. And I want you to realize that it's a privilege beyond all other privileges to bear the very name, the very image, the very reputation of God Almighty. And he says, I ask you to go. Go and make disciples of all men.
Go and be unashamed of my gospel and preach it. Go, rescue the lost in the power of my name. For is not the lamb that was slain worthy to receive the reward of his suffering? I'll go. And as you're beginning to head out with his blessing, he says, Holden, wait, there's one more thing. Not just the penalty, not just the problem, not just the invitation to his very near presence, not just the adoption as the son or a daughter of the king, and not just the commission. This is the capstone. If you think that is all good, you could wrap that all up into one ball and it still falls short of the final one. Because this final one is so condescending on the part of our king. It is so bewildering. It is so extraordinary, so amazing. And this is the truth that turns the world upside down. Before you go, what I'm sending you out to do is impossible. I know. And if you do it in your own strength, you'll fail. I don't care. I'm willing to do whatever you ask of me. And if you want me to go in there and just die, I'm willing. I'm sending you out to be a victor. My children will not lose. Would you give me your body? And I will come in and make it my home. And I will take those hands of yours and make them my hands. I will take those feet of yours and make them my feet. I will take that mouth of yours and it will speak my words. I will take those eyes of yours and they can now see what I need you to be seen in this world. And I will take your heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh so that it will beat with my burdens and you will care for the very things that I care about. And your prayers will become my prayers. And your life and your attitude and your behavior every minute of every day will be the very behavior of God. Will you allow me to overtake your life? Because then we go into this world as little lambs with the faces of lions. Because the living God Almighty, the consuming, almighty, sovereign God dwells within his children. And as we stand and the wolf pack surrounds us, we stand in the authority in the name of Jesus and we will not back down. Because we do not head off to war to lose. We head off to war to win. Our God mocks all the powers of earth and hell through fluffy little lambs. Because his lambs beat the wolf pack. That's the gospel. The gospel trounces upon all the powers of earth and hell and demonstrates to the universe the manifold wisdom of God that he is in control. And even though we look weak, and even though physically and naturally we are weak, spiritually greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. That is good news. And it is a lot better than what's being dealt out today in the church. We need to rise up, proclaim the gospel, and say, I want to
that he would fill you with himself and he would love in and through you. Don't pray that he would teach you to have joy. Pray that the living God full of joy would enter into you. Don't pray that he would teach you how to be peaceful. Ask for the God of peace, the Prince of Peace to infill you. Because if you try and imitate your own strength, you will be a miserable replica. But if you allow the impartation of Jesus Christ to overtake you, suddenly it all works because it's him imitating himself. And he's very good at being God. that we looked at and said and not only this but we also exult we glory in a thing we boast we take pride in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation church we have unbelievably good news to exult in our God for and let's proclaim this gospel to the perishing